Looking to cut your grain drying bill? We found a Michigan farmer who lopped 90% of his energy cost in the first year. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vocher, host and editorial director for Farm Progress. Energy costs for drying grain can pile up, especially in a wet season. But Jennifer Kill with American Agriculturist found a farmer in Michigan who discovered a solution. Wood chips. She shared that story in late December, noting the farmer cut his propane bills significantly. But there's more to the story, and she shares some behind-the-scenes details about what she learned. While the idea isn't for everyone, it may be a solution for some with easy access to the right materials to burn. As she notes, the technology isn't new, but the application of this kind of system to dry grain is a recent innovation. Jen Keel, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Hi, Willie. Great to be here. Great. Now, so... It's nice to reach out to editors. I put out this email. Hey, do you have an idea you want to talk about on the podcast? And you're pretty good at popping up with something interesting. When you sent this one to me, I'm kind of like, what? So (laughs) the idea that you sent in the headline is great in December. And I think it got my attention. Go green, cut your propane bill by 90%. So why don't you tell me what you're talking about? Sure. Um, I was out in Cass City doing an interview with, ironically, a master farmer, and I was walking around his property and I did a back step and I'm like, what is that? He hadn't even mentioned it. And, I, and it was actually this uh, uh, system to burn wood chips that would dry, that was used to dry corn. And it was something that his son had come across and his son is actually there in a transition with the farm. So his son uh, made the decision. He was in a position where he had to make a decision. He was spending 70000 to 75000 annually in propane to run a system. And he wanted to change it over into something else or go with a bigger tank. So he decided that uh, he looked into also natural gas, which is like three and a half miles down the road. That was going to cost him like $350,000 to run that line. And so, or, and the other one was 130000 for a larger propane tank. So then he started looking on Google of all things and came across this system called Triple Green Products. And it's a bio dry air system that augers in wood chips, not wood pellets, wood chips um, on a, on a, basically on a conveyor um, and burns them at an, an exact temperature that will then transfer to the dryer to dry the corn. And he has been able to cut his, he estimates that his wood chip cost, including transport, was $7,500 this year. So he went from seventy to 75000 annually in propane to 7500 in wood chips. Yeah, that's amazing. So I I noticed that. I mean, he had an investment to put this system in. Uh, It was kind of significant, but he's got a pretty good payback, right? Right. He's um, he said the the system itself was between like four hundred and four hundred fifty thousand. He's still waiting. He had to find his own electrician to put this in. So he used um, Nathan Fritz from DS Services, who was on a learning curve as well, because this is all new to the United States. This is the first wood chip burning grain trying grain drying system in the United States. There's several of them up in uh, Canada, 
which was where this technology is coming from. And that's actually not new technology. I should say that um, this is, you know, 30 some year old technology, but it's just now being adapted to new uses. So um, he had Nathan install this system and he was waiting for the bill yet when I wrote this story. I haven't checked back with him, but he estimated it was going to be between 50 and 60,000 for um, the electrical setup and the actual installation of the system. So we're looking at anywhere between 400 to $450,000. But he estimates his rate of return, given this huge savings in fuel, could be within three to five years. Right, and that's before any, obviously there are grants available for this. You covered that pretty well in the story. But he said that, that was a, there was a solid payback, even if he didn't get any REAP money or any NRCS money, right? Right, yeah, it was, you know, add another five years on maybe. Yeah, but that's not bad. I mean, when you think about it, if the system is and and the other thing that's interesting to me is wood chips are where he's going. But this thing will burn anything in dry grain. I mean, not anything, but, you know, corn cobs, corn stover, pellets, if you want to do something like that. Right. All, all kinds of different things. Yeah, I looked at. He said he looked at a lot of different things, and this is Mike Milligan. I don't know if I mentioned, but he's out of Cass City, and they're farming like 4,500 acres of corn, wheat, soybeans, and dry beans. They looked at, you know, wheat straw, corn stalks, you know, dry bean screenings, and then you know, um, corn stover as well. Um, the rep from Triple Green Products um, said that you. He told me that you could use 20, 25% of your crop stover to dry your entire crop. I found that really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some logistics involved in that, but that's an interesting idea that you'd be kind of self-sufficient on drying your grain. Yeah, exactly. Um, the wood pellets you could use, those are a more consistent form. You know, you order them in what size exactly you want. That and uh, But Mike decided to go with the chips because he has a friend who's in the business of that, of doing chips for electrical companies as they come through and cut trees. And uh, the wood pellets were a little bit more expensive than the wood chips. Well, and I guess his friend had also gotten a new system where he could size the chips, right? So, because one of the things about this is you want some sort of consistency with the with the product that's going in, right? Yeah, he said he used, um, he has a screen that's a three-inch screen, I believe he said, drops through. Maybe that's not right. It's pretty close to that. But, um, yeah, he said next year he might be going with a larger chip, which would be even cheaper for him. He thinks the system might be able to handle that. So when he fired this up, I mean, he he kind of knew the first time that there were going to be issues. I think you wrote in here that he had ex some expected hiccups. I mean, everything like this needs some kind of shakedown cruise. What did he learn when he first tested this in August? Yeah, he had an early delivery of wood chips, probably about eight weeks prior to firing up, and he had them covered with a with a tarp, which eventually had some moisture get in there, and he said it kind of turned those chips to mulch, and so they had to burn through those to to get those out of the way before they really fired the system up. They also had a little bit of adjustments to make because a lot of these systems are made for wood pellets, and being these were wood chips, they they looked at the spark arrester and they moved it to a different position to make sure it's catching you know any embers that might you know pull through that line. That makes sense. I mean, you got to look at. The flow, you're not sure how anything's going to flow on something like this, but they sound like simple fixes. I mean, the first one, that's a learning curve, right? Don't get the yeah. chips too early. And if you, you know, and maybe watch your loads, which I'm sure he did during drying time when he finally ran it. So that's fascinating from that standpoint. And you know, we talked about um, the 
I mentioned the the REAP and NRCS grants. He did take on the challenge of doing a REAP grant for this, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He actually got awarded that too. And at the time that he put his in, the REAP grant was a cost share of 25% and then a 25 or 26% tax credit. Since then, the new this new year, REAP has now come out with a flat 50%. Um, so there's, you know, 50% of your cost of not only the equipment, but install as well. Um, and I know there's a cap on that. I believe it's 100,000. Um, I'm not certain on that. But NRCS also has some grants out, um, you know, that will that will help offset the cost, especially if you're in, you know, some of these watersheds, too, that are being uh, they're gaining a lot of attention where they're really trying to offset and as well as the carbon credits that could be accumulated from that. I don't have a lot of information on the carbon credits and how that's going to work just yet, but um, it's a possibility. I'm pretty sure no one does. I mean, that's part of the math on these, <laughs> right? I mean, we're still learning on the life cycle analysis. I mean, you're bringing in wood chips, but those trees absorb carbon. And even though you're burning them, they're a renewable resource. And those trees go out and you plant new trees or the trees are from trimmings and the trees grow. So there's all that kind of rigmarole that goes with this whole conversation. It's all good. It's exciting. I think the challenge on a REAP grant is you've got to fill it out just right so you score well, right? Exactly. He said, I asked him at the end, I said, would you would you recommend this? Would you do this again? And he said yes. And it was quite a firm yes. But then he had this little little asterisk in there that said he goes, I would recommend anybody wanting to do this to have somebody else fill the grant out for you. He said he spent the whole month of February getting the grant prepared. That's well, a multi-page process. And, you know, you're doing it. You don't want to do it wrong because then you could miss out on something. And these programs are great. You know, we talk about this. Uh, NRCS has some really good programs for conservation, tiling, and now renewable energy and climate smart farming. So I think it's it almost behooves a person to make a trip to the NRCS for any part of their farm to just have a conversation. Hey, what's out there? What should I be thinking about? I'm looking at putting a tiling system in. What should I look at? Or I was thinking of doing a retention pond for some challenge. Is there something that could help me? Because there's money out there. Yeah, definitely. That's really good advice. A couple yeah. other things that I thought I'd bring up about sure. this system is they size them from 3 million to 20 million BTUs. So when I asked, well, who who would this be most appropriate for? There's a sweet spot in there. And Milligan, he's doing 10, he's got a 10 million BTU. And by the way, these units are like 50,000 pound burners. He's harvesting between 200,000, 300,000 bushels of corn on average. He's drying down to 15%. So the kind of the 10 million BTU will fit him perfectly. Anybody, I was told by the rep that anybody with less than 100,000 um, bushels of corn annually, it's probably not a good investment for them unless they have, you know, a really good source of wood. Um, but and then also the 20 million BTU, obviously, that's a big unit. And he said, but they could go bigger. There's an opportunity to actually hook multiple units together. And I heard of a, a, a farmer out in Illinois that's actually thinking about having a system directly um you know, from the ground up designed to bring in uh, corn from other farmers and have this as being kind of a, you know, a, a business unto itself. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. And an elevator might look at something like this, too. 
for their own system, but it, the, the larger, the better. It's interesting that you could maybe chain them together to get a larger capacity. As we go forward on this kind of thing, it'll be interesting to see how people engage it. Obviously, the company has been around. I think you noted it was like 36 years they've been doing this in Canada. So they've they've worked out a lot of the bugs, I think. Yeah, a lot of the Canadian systems were used to make like institution stuff like schools and prisons and hospitals and such like that. So this is really a new application in the United States. Oh, that's cool. And it's a it's but it's a logical application um, because of the rising price of energy and your options are limited. I think like Milligan found driving in a land, a dri- driving in a line. 350 grand to bring in a natural gas line. You know, although natural gas prices are relatively reasonable, that's a pretty big cost. The payback's slower for sure. <laughs> and then, you know, so it's yeah. it. Go ahead. That was the other thing that the rep noted that he, you know, he was he was straight up and he said, you know, somebody who has a natural gas system already, you know, this may not be economical for them, at least right now. But we really don't know what gas prices are going to do, and there's really nothing you can do <laughs> about um, controlling that cost. So, um, anyways, that was just some advice from him. And I also wanted to note that uh, Million told me he was burning 13 tons of wood chips in 24 hours. And so, throughout the harvest season, he went through 10 22-ton semi-loads. And each load was, he calculated at $660 a load, and that included his transportation um, 70 miles there and back. So those are just some economics of it for people to think about. So those wood chips are pretty cheap, though. I mean, the load was only $660 for transport and the and the wood, or was there a different deal exactly. there? Yep, that's what wow. he told me. Well, and it's, I mean, it, he's using waste wood, I mean, from exactly. tree trimming, so that's fantastic, especially since a lot of municipalities are trying to figure out how to get rid of some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and burying it isn't a good idea <laughs> in the long run. Well, this right. is really fascinating. I think that anybody listening to this um, could reach out to the company if they'd like. What was the name of the company you were involved with on this that worked with Milligan on this? Sure, it's Triple Green Products, and the actual burner itself is a bio dry air. They're out of. Okay. Uh, Morris, Manitoba, Canada. Oh, I know where that is. Cool. So, I mean, Triple Green Products, again, and BioDry Air System. And if you're interested, you can check it out. This isn't an advertisement for this. This is the discussion of one farmer's answer to an issue that had been plaguing his operation, the rising price of energy to dry grain. So, I think it's a cool solution. I do, too. It was it was very interesting, and I'm glad I literally stumbled upon it. <laughs> well, that's part of our jobs, right? We we go out and walk around and do a story, and then we look over and go, "What's that over there?" Yeah, so keep your eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely right. That's the, the fun part of the job. You know, we were talking earlier. Um, uh, often when we talk, sometimes you mentioned something about the sugar beet harvest this year. What's going on? Last year, uh, it went nuts. On oh yield. gosh, last year was just a record-breaking beyond all reality. We had we had this warm, wet fall, and the beets just kept growing, and the guys couldn't get out there to harvest them, and they growing and growing and growing, and to the point where we have a system, we have a cooperative here, so the farmers own the processing plant as well. So, and then and all the acres are you know contracted out. So when we were getting literally, I heard people talking about 40 to 50 ton bushel of beets, which the average is like 
30, the highest I think we'd ever had was like 32 prior to that. Mm -hmm. So not only was it a transportation nightmare for these guys, harvest was difficult. um, But then you get to the processing plant and they can't keep up. There's only so much that that plant can do at a, you know, throughout a season. And then you've got these beets and piles. And so if you don't process them quickly enough, you, you, you know, there's a chance of spoilage, which has happened before. So anyways, the uh, the cooperative made a decision. They told the farmers, you got to leave 5% in the field. We can't take them. And then there was another like 5,000 acres that they um, farmers voluntarily surrendered and were paid on their average price. So that was the nightmare we had last year. So you'd think well, that's a good thing, right? Lots of beets, you know, even if we have to leave some in the field, they'll be fertilizer for next year. This year we had more, much more of a normal year. We had a really great year. It was averaged about, I think, 29 tons an acre. The difference is, is the beets got off at the ideal time when they were still holding a lot of sugar. And beets are not only, um, beets are priced on sugar content, mm-hmm. not on weight. So, ironically this year's harvest even though it was much smaller and they got the entire harvest out um, farmers made out better this year than they did last year it's not always about yield it's always about return so exactly. yep. <laughs> i can i just imagine what those beets look like last year huge oh. fibrous monsters because they just stayed in the field and then i can't imagine the beet piles yeah, these are almost, some of them were, you know, literally getting close to being, you know, basketball, not quite basketball, yeah. but bigger than softball for sure. And yeah, they're, yeah, they were monstrous. And like I said, but sugar beets are um, priced on sugar. So yeah, pretty cool. Although I do enjoy seeing a beet pile every once in a while. If you've never seen a sugar beet pile, that mountain off in the distance in Flatland, and you don't know what it is. So as I was up in the Red River Valley, the other sugar beet corner of the world yes. in, in the world in the United States. And I was driving along and I'm like, what the heck is that? My first trip to the valley. And I'm like, oh, and I got closer. And I go, oh, a beet pile. So it's like crazy because this awful flatland area is where we raise beets. And then those there's a mountain. So it's cool. <laughs> One more thing, Willie. Another yeah. big story out of Michigan is we got uh, we have 670,000 acres of wheat planted this year. That's up 56% from last year. So um, we're seeing, you know, the 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 impact of high inputs. Now we're getting back to wheat again, and there's, you know, we got good prices for wheat. So um, wheat's coming back in Michigan after um, being kind of sparse last year. So I think that's how we're going to do this. When we look at these acreage reports that in, the USDA puts out, people are like, well, where are we going to get the acres? You know, where, where are they going to get all those wheat acres? Well, they're going to find them in areas that didn't have wheat before, and that may displace corn. So we'll see how that fixes that acreage mess. We had our release. We're going to talk next week about our farm future survey and what we found out about what farmers are planting. It's fascinating. So and knowing that there's more wheat acres in, in Michigan really doesn't surprise me. So that's kind of. So I know we're not a huge wheat state, but that's you know forty six percent jump from last year is pretty significant. Although I will caveat that in saying that last year, you know, of course, with that wet fall we had, um, we didn't have as much uh, normal wheat planting. But that's pretty crazy. Well, Jennifer Keel, great to talk to you about what's going on not only with this uh, way to cut your propane bill for grain drying, but also what's happening with the beet harvest and what's going on with crops. Thanks for your time. It's clear that jumping in on a renewable energy drying system isn't an impulse buy. There is an investment involved, but there are also grants and programs that could support the effort. 
And I enjoyed the update that Jen provided on the Michigan sugar beet crop, where for 2022, less was actually more. Thanks to Jennifer Keel for this fascinating insight into a new approach to drying grain and what's going on with crops in the region. This was an interesting conversation, and if you don't want to miss what we're talking about here at Around Farm Progress, simply subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress, and you'll hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer and feedstuffs, and our events including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Summit, and the New York Farm Show. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.